our common understanding of human dignity has fractured. We have become tribal. Those with whom we agree have dignity. Everyone else is a hate-filled adversary. We have forgotten that we need each other to fit into a unified design mosaic. Abdul Mary, Saving Truth. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Graced with Questions podcast. Uh, my name is Josh. I hope you're having a great spring. And uh, I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Grace. Or am I the co-host, actually? I don't know. I hey, think Grace. I think it's both. <laughs> okay. Hi, Josh. Yes. How's it going? You know, hey, guys, can we be honest for a minute? We had to do a couple of um, takes on this one um, (laughs) to start it off because we were just having it's been it's been a weekend, actually, I would say. So I'm good. Yeah, that's great. That's good to hear. Um, How are things going with you since the last time we talked? It's been a few weeks. So what's up with you? I, you, you guys look, okay. I, you know, if you know me personally, which probably many of you maybe don't know me as well personally, but, um, I am the ultimate cheerleader. You know, I love to cheer people on. And so this past week, um, actually this weekend, I think, but the, the week before one of my close girlfriends just graduated, um, with her doctorate. And so it's been exciting. Um, and there's quite a few more coming up um, this month. And so it's just been a turn up week. I feel like, Josh, I've been yeah. all hyped, you know, so it's been amazing. How about you? Yeah, I've had a good few weeks. Um, I mean, Easter was great. I don't know. Oh, my you... God. <laughs> yeah. It was, yes, it was that great. was Easter. We, I, it feels like a long time ago now. That, I feel like that's every week this year is like, oh, my gosh, that was last week. But it was um but yeah, Easter is great. Um, my church had, uh, we have not had any in-person meetings uh, for over a year. And we had one uh, at 7 a.m., our sunrise service uh, outside. So we all got to spread out. And usually, you know, at a 7 a.m. service, you know, probably like 20 people show up. I don't usually show up, if I'm honest. Um, but this year, <laughs> you know, it's the first time in more than a year so. We had, I think we had around a hundred people um, and we all spread out. Uh, we, we, you know, worshiped, we saw the sunrise um, and, and afterwards you had that feeling of like, oh, it's the after church time and everyone is here and you can say hi to people. And that was just a, a feeling that I haven't had in a while. So, wow. so that was really great. Um, yeah, I'm trying to imagine as you were talking about it, how powerful is that, um, that you guys got to do that together and, and outside and experiencing, you know, just the sunrise as well. How powerful is that? Yeah. Ooh. I have another yeah. piece of good news, which is that uh, I got the vaccine. I got the first Woo-hoo! vaccine. Yay. So, Josh out here just killing the game of vaccine. So which one did you get? Which which one did you uh, end up getting? I got the Moderna Moderna vaccine. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. So that means you need two shots. Yep. I need two shots. Okay. Um, the second one will be in a few weeks here. Uh, I wish I didn't have wow. to wait so long, but you know, it's fine. I'm glad I'm Any symptoms? It. Any, 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 any aftermath fevers? Um, uh, yeah, I had, common? I had some soreness, um, definitely like more sore than a flu shot that, you know, yeah. I've gotten before. Um, I, I felt, definitely felt a little bit tired, maybe a little bit of a headache afterwards. 
Um, but I heard the second shot is supposed to be more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I have um, heard that too, actually. So are you, are, you, yeah. are you getting yourself ready? I hope you have um, already pre-made food because you might need to just have something ready. That, that is a good consideration. I did not think about that. So I probably I mean, should do that. There is a reason why I'm called Grace, guys. Like... <laughs> Just things just come to me. The grace of God is abounding. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's abounding in my life. And look, you guys, when Josh mentioned Easter, I totally almost forgot. But you know what? The good news is Jesus Christ is still resurrected. Hallelujah. He's already been Amen. resurrected. So, you know, we do it every year. Obviously, I hope it's not just ceremonial, but we do it every year for those who believe. Uh, we do it every year and it's it's quite powerful when you get to partake in it. And so I got to watch my virtually Josh, unlike you. Um, you got to be outside and sunrise. It sounds all romanticized, but yeah, I wish I was there. <laughs> I started having this weird feeling once I got the vaccine and then also with that service, though, of like, oh, my goodness, we're going back to real life. And some of the anxieties of real life started coming back. You know what I mean? Like, of like, shoot, now I have to like think about all these things again. I can't just like stay at home. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so there's like, obviously, I'm glad, you know, everyone's getting the vaccine, hopefully, and we can get back to real life. But um, I'm realizing, yeah, there's going to be a transition to, you know, and uh, more things to get used to, more things to handle. Um, so, yeah, well, I feel like, you, again, I mean, not to be, you know, cliche in any terms, but I think, like, I think, I think people are going to have to really rethink what this normal looks like and what normal means. I, I, I think that's a valid question. I don't think there is normal ever, truly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think there was such thing as normal. I think we just define normality just based on our redundancy of doing things um, and our, yeah. comf you know, our comfort level. But um, I think now we have to rethink it. But I, I hope people are taking this time to figure out what do I really need to do and not and, and be intentional about not just what I'm getting into. And yeah. I think that's going to be an important conversation that people have with themselves uh, for sure. Is there anything that you started doing, you know, during this past year mm. uh, just because of the situation that you don't want to stop doing, that you want to continue to have in your life, even as we get back to normal? <laughs> So my answer is not going to be deep. <laughs> okay. That's okay. I'm thinking. So the one I keep thinking in my head is naps. <laughs> hey, that's, I that's real though. I want to keep the nap alive. <laughs> that's, that's a great answer, honestly. Oh, do you think so? Because I, yeah, I just don't sleep well at night. And so mm. naps have, I've found out, even if it's just a 20 minute nap has, whether it is me doing it during lunchtime has mm -hmm. been one of the most, I think, reviving things for me to do. I did one just now, Josh, before we got on the, you oh, know, yeah. on the podcast. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that's what I have to really try to keep alive. Um, yeah you know, somehow in my life, you know, moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know that wasn't deep. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, that wasn't what I expected, but that's good. That's good. I guess I'll say that I, I need to chuck away my deep answer and yeah. I will say 
making kombucha. I hope I can continue making kombucha because that's I started doing that during this last year, and I guess I want to keep doing it. So, oh go. wow, Josh, you see that was so deep. Kombucha, though, really? I I wasn't expecting you to say. Kombucha. Is that? I don't think that's deep, is it? It's just a hobby. That's not. It's not deep, but I'm. I, I've heard. I have never had kombucha, guys. I've never been on that kombucha road, but you know, folks have told me it's amazing. I I've heard it's also nasty at the same time. So yeah, you know, I did not like it until I tried uh, homemade kombucha from my friend. Um, so I I have never really liked the stuff that other people have bought from the store, but. When you make it yourself, you can add your own flavors. You can, you know, um, make it as sour or not sour as you want. So you can kind of customize it to what you like. Well, Josh, like, so I, I think I'm supposed to be coming in town at some point. Like, just make sure that I have a sample. So that because, because I want to okay. know if this actually tastes good. Because if it doesn't, you know, I might have to Jesus curse you out because... Uh, <laughs> Okay, guys, Josh, what the heck are we talking about, y'all, today? <laughs> so last episode, we talked about cancel culture. We focused mostly on, you know, um, when there are revelations of bad behavior or uh, wrongdoing that gets revealed um, and how, you know, the society responds to that, especially on social media, how we can respond to that. Are there good or bad ways to respond to those things? Um, and we got a little bit into... Okay, what about the cases where, you know, um, it's not it's not about something, you know, a, a scandal or something that gets revealed. It's just having a disagreement, um, but that can result in cancellation as well. And um, we we were talking about it and we felt like, you know, on this topic of disagreement, there's a lot to talk about here, you know, mm-hmm. um, not just from the cancel culture uh, angle, but just about disagreement in general. Um Obviously, you know, we live in a time right now where uh, there's a lot of disagreement in our society and a lot mm-hmm. of strong disagreement. I think we all feel the hyper polarization that's happening right now, especially in America and in other parts of the world as well. Um, and I think we also see the negative consequences of that, right? What happens mm-hmm. when we don't know or we no longer know how to disagree well? with each other, with people who are on different sides of an issue or who don't see our perspective. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, some of these, you know, not being able to disagree well can lead to things like, you know, us versus them kind of a posture, you know, Uh, just thinking of, okay, everyone who agrees with me is on my side and it's my side versus that side. And everyone who doesn't disagree with me, you're, you're over there, you know, you're not part of us. Um, that can lead to demonization of people who don't agree with us or mm-hmm. just a lack of ability to even listen for understanding. You know, um, sometimes mm-hmm. we can fall into, we, we do listen to other people who have different opinions, but we just listen to criticize, right? We're just listening for things so that we can use that to tear them down instead of actually having a discussion. Um, and I think, yeah, mm. we probably all feel the destructiveness of this kind of environment. Um, what yeah. do you think, Grace? No, I, th- I think you covered it so beautifully. And, um, you know, just 
I want to say as well that people have responded beautifully to this cancel culture episode. So thank you guys for listening and and for the feedback. You guys have been enjoying it. So that's fantastic. And yeah, I think Josh, I think I think we are 100% on the same page on this. Um, as, as we're kind of thinking about this and even as you really thought about this, I, I think it became clear that our, our culture right now is very toxic. Like, you know, we have uh, forgotten about our ability to um, truly just be civilized. Um, and, you know, and so I think, yeah, you hit it right on the nail. And I think it kind of uh, points to the the fact that we need this conversation right now in our society, even as we are thinking through how to do that well. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think sometimes, even for me, it can feel like I don't know where to go. You know, I don't know what to do to take steps forward in this because it feels like everyone is so caught in just this kind of environment. Um, it's easy to say something like, well, you know, we should just be able to agree to disagree, you know, um, and just move on. Mm. Or, or, or to even say, you know, I've heard people say this, like, oh, just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you. It doesn't mean I'm your enemy. And I agree with that. You know, we should be able to disagree without becoming enemies, without hating each other. And I would love for that to be the case. But um, mm. I mean, it's easier said than done, right? Like, just saying, oh, let's agree to disagree doesn't make the problem go away. Um, so I thought that, you know, on this episode, we're going to talk about, you know, trying to disagree better. But I just want to be honest, you know, disagreement is hard. It sucks, it, actually. Yeah. Be clear. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure we both experienced it, right? Like, it doesn't feel good when mm-hmm. I'm talking to someone that doesn't agree with me. It, it, it feels bad. It feels sometimes even like I'm being attacked or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, or it brings out my insecurities. And, yeah, I think we just wanted to start from that place of honesty. Yeah. And I think... I think to some level, we have to also acknowledge that we've become kind of numb to it, um, especially if we are engaging in toxic rhetoric constantly um, in our lives, whether it is sometimes I think we think we have to vocalize things to be in a toxic this uh, relationship with disagreement. But I think sometimes some of that, that disagreements happens in our minds. Um, you know, we, we prop up ourselves uh, for even conversations that have not happened yet uh, mm. because we are so mad about things. And I think that's even in my own space, I, I think I've done that, right? If, you yeah. know, I think especially in the past, um, as I was kind of, um, I think, kind of forming my, some of my own values and ideas, I think, you know, sometimes you would, you, you would create arguments in your head just to be ready for your, you know, the, the, the other person. And, and I think sometimes... You know, yeah, it doesn't feel good, guys. It's it's. Yeah. I know for me, it's it's not always um, lovely. But I think as I've matured, I've figured out how to deal with some of those emotions better. But yeah, I mean, I think Josh, let's just be honest here. Yeah, it feels terrible sometimes. Um, but I hope we don't become numb to that feeling. Is is, is what I'm hoping. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point too, of like how it can affect us mentally, right? Like I've had that experience too of, you know, when someone disagrees with me or, you know, whatever, and it just replays in my mind over and over again. And, you know, I, I, it makes me feel worse. You know, yeah, it's, it's toxic. And I think there's an aspect of this that, you know, maybe people or, or even me, like I have disengaged from certain things for the sake of my own health mentally. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, at least I think where I am right now is like, yeah, I, I want to 
be able to be in conversation with people who disagree with me, but there's a limit to how much I can do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I no longer feel like I can just jump in anytime, any day and have that conversation. I have to be ready. You know, um, I even think, you know, in, in terms of my relationships, there's kind of mm-hmm. like a, uh, there's, there is a need for some kind of agreement in relationship. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how I feel nowadays of, um, you know, especially with close friends, I feel like there's a certain level of agreement, not on everything, but mm-hmm. on certain things that I need to be able to feel like I belong, you know, to be able to feel like I'm safe there uh, with them. Maybe mm-hmm. that requirement mm-hmm. is a little bit lower with, you know, people in my church who um, maybe I'm not as close with in relationship as like some of my close friends or even you know, my coworkers. You know, I, I don't need to agree on everything with them and the requirement is lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel like, you know, we all need relationships. We all need friendships that, that can support us. And, um, so it's not just about, let's just jump in. Let's just get in there with people that we disagree with all the time. No, I think we all need, you know, uh, people that we can just be in relationship with without disagreeing all the time. Absolutely. Um, so I think we're saying, at least I'm saying is like, I don't want this episode just to be about like, Oh, every, you know, if you're in a, a a community that agrees with you, then you're doing something wrong, right? Like, I think we all need that. Yes. Um, yes. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But um, yeah, maybe the question is, how can we branch out a little bit more? How can be how can we be a little bit more open to uh, expanding the types of people, the types of opinions that we can have conversations with? Absolutely. And I think sometimes we will be... Um very surprised Josh even in the communities that we exist in that there are very different differing opinions um mm. but people oftentimes don't voice them because they might be considered the other the anomaly um yeah. but you know I think sometimes even within those communities I think you know people um sometimes in you know, in trying to keep with the norm, in trying to keep with the culture, in trying to keep with the environment, in trying to keep the peace, in trying to make everything unify, we don't voice our thoughts. And there has to be wisdom in that, you know, obviously, when do you speak and when do you not speak? Yeah. But I think, you know, sometimes we will be surprised that in our uh, our communities, whether in, in maybe spiritual spaces or not spiritual spaces, that there are maybe more d- differing opinions than we think. We just have to engage in some of those critical conversations to find out um, and, you know, set the premises for people to, to be able to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, actually, without the judgment that comes with being different um, in, that, in that, you know, space. When I think about disagreement, I think immediately about social media or online, right? Um, mm-hmm. is, is where I think about those conversations happening, which, as we know, maybe is not the best forum for that, um, you know, mm-hmm. because it's more anonymous. People are more nasty, maybe, um, in that environment. But yeah, I think that's a great point of there might be opportunities to to have these sorts of conversations, even with people who we're already in relationship with, but we just haven't opened ourselves up to that. Um, absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. And yeah. I think, 
I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, change always begins from, you know, I, so for so long we've used the top down model, but I think true change begins from the bottom to the top um, when it comes to things like this, at least when it comes to trying to change how we talk to each other, trying to change how we disagree or agree on things. You know, yes, you can set pre- precedents about, you know, how people, what people can do uh, from a policy perspective, but really, you know, uh, dealing with the hearts of, of, of humanity will not begin there. It will begin in our communities. It will begin, you know, in our closed door conversations. And so, yeah, I, I, I hope, I hope as we are talking about this, guys, that we don't branch off into the, you know, um, uh, the world per se. But we are also very careful that as we are thinking through this, that we are thinking about our own communities um, as well. It's also easier to, I mean, maybe we're falling into this. Okay. Oh, but it's easier to have conversations about disagreeing than to actually disagree too, right? Whew, like, Come on, I, Jesus. I think I have heard a lot of talk about how um I even in my church, you know, we we want to we want to, we say we want to be a place where people with different opinions, different views, perspectives can come in. And I think there are those people in our church um or there there's sorry, there are a diversity of people in our church with regards to different viewpoints and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, the potential is there and we say we want to do it and we have conversations about, yeah, this is what we need, but I don't think it happens as much as like it should still, you know, like it's still difficult. Um, and I think it, it requires, I don't know. It requires someone to be the person that takes the risk of opening up the topic or saying what they really think and, um, and risking, I guess, maybe getting, getting into that conflict or, or just a a difference of opinion with someone and then having to work that out. It's messy, but, um, maybe, and maybe that's why it's hard. Well, I mean, and so Josh, for you quickly, I'm, I'm just, I'm just wondering, as you said that, are you, would you, I, I feel like you are that person um, and, and just from what I know about you, but do you feel comfortable being that person with different opinions sometimes? Okay. You know what? I, I learned something about myself this week of, um, I always thought I was, do you know the Enneagram? Have you heard of that before? I feel like I have. Yes. The personality test thing. Yes, 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 yes. So I always thought I was a one, which is like the super theoretical, like, this is what's right. Here's, I've proved what's right. And like, we have to strive to be this or whatever. And I I think I always thought I was that, but I took the test um, this week and it said I'm a six, which is, which is not, I mean, it's maybe a little bit similar in certain ways, but um, I think I am actually, I don't just care about the theoretical what's right. You know, I, mm. I realize I actually really do care about what people think about me. <laughs> you know, Ooh. I really do care about, um, That's deep. you know, whether people, you know, treat me well, whether I can be secure in my relationships with them. And, mm. um, and that does, honestly, it does affect what I bring up and 
what I choose to not bring up at certain times. You know, um, a lot of times, actually, when people ask my opinion about something I haven't thought about yet, um, I will, I've noticed this about myself, I will give, I will actually give kind of a, a generic answer or like, a, oh, you know, it's fine kind of answer. And it on, mm. it's only until later when I look back and think about something, can I really understand my my viewpoint on something you know i think it on the moment i'm so prone to just wanting people wanting people to like me or wanting respect or whatever um that you know i can't in the moment just say what i think i need to i need time to process it and then come back and say hey you know i thought about it this is what i really think wow that's deep and so and so when you come back right and, and you've thought about it would you then feel comfortable voicing that opinion? Yeah, I would feel comfortable. Um, okay. Good. I think it depends on the person and also like the the space. You know, maybe mm-hmm. this is another problem is, um, you know, we have a small group and we do Bible study and stuff like that. But I don't know if we have a space specifically for some of these topics that are, are kind of controversial. You know, um, if we do a Bible study and it kind of touches on some controversial topic, Usually that's not the main focus of the Bible study, you know, mm-hmm. um, or it's not the main focus of the discussion. And so it doesn't necessarily feel like that's the space to bring it up. Yes, we have to be intentional about that. But I think it's also important that in spaces like that, when people have to just naturally be in them because you know they are choosing to be in them, we have to, when those topics come up, um, leaders, facilitators have to be okay addressing them uh, because oftentimes or not, people are actually thinking about them. They just don't want to speak out about them. You know, like yeah. I'm, I'm quite the opposite. I'm the person who's going to say something, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to be like, uh, yeah. hello, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have an elephant in the room. Can we, can we address this elephant, please? It's quite large, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so I think, you mm-hmm. know, I love Josh that, you are being so honest about this on this podcast right now, because I think many people can relate to that, um, to to the point where maybe, yes, I do care about what my friends and people think about me. And I think that's honest. I think we all, to some extent, Josh, do care about what people, you know, in our communities think about us. Um, I think that, you know, the yeah. fine line is is when those opinions become debilitating or they hinder us from fully being who we are called mm-hmm. to be. And then that's where it becomes a problem. And I think we all have to assess that ourselves. But that's, yeah, that's, that's deep, Josh. I think as we're talking about, you know, disagreements and where we stand and as we are kind of forming our values as well, that we begin to ask ourselves in what areas of our lives have we limited our voice um, or vocalize even our confusion around a certain topic uh, because of judgment, because of shame. And I think those things need to be, you need to be honest with those things, with people that you trust, because ultimately when we are not honest about how we are feeling and what we think with people that truly should care about us, then I don't think that space is no more, it's not conducive to your growth right but i think it's unfair as well to assume they don't care um and not bring it up right and i think that's also important to to also note as as we are talking about 
our our standpoints and our views. So you have to give people a chance to walk with you, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think too often, maybe I'm thinking mostly about the church here, but maybe maybe it applies to other organizations as well. I think too often we have uh, misinterpreted silence as unity. Um, you know, like we think, oh, well, people aren't like fighting about this and they're not like actively like, you know, arguing and disputing in our church about this. So it must be fine. You know, we have unity um, or or it's sometimes even explicit of let's be united by not talking about these things. And I, I just don't know if that is true unity. You know, um, I, I think that's kind of a, a fake unity in, in certain ways of a unity by homogeneity. Um Whereas for Christians, especially with, you know, uh, Paul's picture of the body of Christ, you know, the, the different parts of the body are not the same. Um, they're not homogenous. They don't do the same things. And I think you could extrapolate that to say they don't, they don't think the same way in everything either. And I think what Paul is saying is that we all need each other and we are actually missing out on something in the church if we don't have these conversations. Now it's, it's hard and I wouldn't want to put the onus on just on individual people to make that happen. Right. Like there's a structural component of this. There is a, a space that needs to be set up. And um, I don't know how to do that, to be honest. Um, but I think we need that. And so I think we need to imagine what that could look like. Absolutely. And, Especially um, I think in structured, yeah. it's interesting, Josh, that you, you brought up that. So on our graced with questions, um, uh, Instagram page, if you're not following, please go follow. Um, on our page, we, I, we posted on uh, three days ago, um, a quote by Charlie Dates. Charlie Dates is an activist, pastor, minister, I mean, theologian um, out of Chicago and he put something down that we reposted is if our unity requires my silence about injustice, it costs too much. Mm. And I just thought that was so powerful, yeah. right? That that he talked about um, about that very same thing, that unity is not the absence of disagreement. Josh, take us there. What else What else is brewing right now? You know, I think we've talked a little bit about why we think, you know, being able to disagree with other people is, is necessary and disagree well, right? Um, and, but we also, you know, have talked about, yeah, it's hard. You know, we're not just saying that it's easy and we could just go and do it. Um, but I think let's move into talking about, so if we're in a conversation with someone who disagrees with us, if we find ourselves uh, not seeing eye to eye with someone. So what can we do practically if we're in that conversation, in that situation? My entry point into theology was uh, very much centered around this uh, issue of predestination. Mm -hmm. um, so if you don't know, you know, Christians disagree on whether they think that uh, God predestines things to happen or whether it's kind of like more of a, a free choice kind of thing. That's a that's a very oversimplification, <laughs> but uh, there are, you know, two sides of this debate. One side is called the Calvinists, oh, who yes. emphasize um, God's sovereignty and predestination. Um, I'm more of a Calvinist. Um, 
And the other side is called the Arminian theology, which focuses more on uh, free will and God, God's um, enabling us to uh, make these choices. So um, obviously, you know, pretty different viewpoints. Um, they have some overlap, but yeah, pretty different. And historically, a source of a lot of uh, conflict and dispute. Mm. And um, so I've been kind of trying to uh, look into this issue. I, I did a class at my church about this, so I was reading up on it. Um, and so I read uh, this book from Roger Olson called Arminian mm. Theology, um, because I had never, I mean, I realized I had never read a book by an Arminian before. All I read was stuff from Calvinists. And of course, that's a, a one-sided view if, if that's all I have read. So and I, re- I ended up really liking the book. And one thing that he said when he talked about how can Arminians and Calvinists talk to each other, even though they're on different sides of this issue, uh, is, is this. So let me read his quote here. Uh, so one principle that ought to be observed by all parties of this debate is, before you disagree, make sure you understand. In other words, we must make sure that we can describe another's position as he or she would describe it before we criticize or condemn. Another guiding principle should be, do not impute to others beliefs that you regard as logically entailed by their beliefs, but that they explicitly deny. I really like that last part. It's a little bit of a complicated sentence, so I'll read it again. Do not impute to others beliefs that you regard as logically entailed by their beliefs, but that they explicitly deny. This, this is really good. This was really powerful to me because what it's saying is, okay, Calvinists and Arminians, they, they, all the time, they accuse each other of believing certain things, right? Calvinists will say, oh, Arminians, you guys focus on free will. So you think God is not powerful. You know, you think that we are the ones that have the power to choose God or not. And we don't really need God because, you know, we have our own free choice. Now, no Arminian actually believes this, but this is what Calvinists, like this is why Arminian theology does not make sense to Calvinists is because they think that if you believe it, then you must believe that your choice is supreme Mm. and that uh, God is kind of, you know, this like weak God. Same thing on the other side. Arminians will look at Calvinists and say, oh, so you believe that God predestines what happens. So then God is evil because God chose that all this evil stuff is going to happen. And uh, so how can you not say that God is evil? Now, no Calvinist is going to say that God is evil, but that's what Arminians think is logically entailed by the Mm. Calvinist belief. And what Roger Olson is saying is, yes, you might think that this is the logical conclusion. And you can say that. You can argue that, hey, this is why I don't think your position makes sense is because if you believe this, then then I think you have to believe this and that doesn't really make sense. But at the same time, you have to recognize that that's not Mm -hmm. what they're saying. Right. This is what Roger Olson is saying. He's saying, yes, argue that, hey, I think, you know, that if you are consistent logically and you believe that God predestines things to happen, then God must be evil. But you have to also say, but Calvinists don't actually think that, you know, to be fair. Um, And I think this is this can be applied to several different issues. You know, I, I think it's so often that we get tangled up into this trap. Uh, I, I don't know if this is a good example, but something like, you know, Black Lives Matter, All Lives oh, Matter kind of thing. Yeah. Right? People will say, oh, why are you saying Black Lives Matter? You must, you know, if you say Black Lives Matter, you must mean that other lives right. don't matter. I don't see how you could say that without meaning the other thing. But that's not what they're saying. 
That's not what people who say Black Lives Matter are saying. They do mean all lives matter, um, but they're drawing attention to the fact that Black lives have not mattered in America um, for a very long time. And the same thing on the other side, right? Some people will say, hey, I don't see how you can say all lives matter without just being racist, you know, and by, you know, uh, eliminating or um, downplaying uh, this need to focus on uh, the violence being done to black people in mm-hmm. America nowadays. But you also, to be honest, you also have to say, well, that might not be what they mean. And in fact, that's not what everyone who says all lives matter mm-hmm. means, right? Um, but it's so easy to draw these like direct implications to say, oh, if you say this, oh, you must believe this. Yeah, okay. No, nah, you're, you're a bad mm-hmm. person, right? Um, and if we instead give each other more space to say, hey, okay, you believe this, but also you believe this. How does that work? Can I understand? This is not how I would say it. This is this doesn't all make sense to me, but can I understand where you're coming from? Um, and I think that's the first step, you know, and that takes effort. That takes, you know, maybe even some cognitive dissonance on our mm-hmm. part of trying to say, okay, how do you believe this and this and put it together but for the sake of understanding someone else who we disagree with, I think this is um, what Olson is arguing that we have to do. So that was a little bit long, but um, I think this is, to me, this is a really good and important principle of before you disagree, make sure you understand and don't impute to others beliefs that you think are logically entailed, but that they say, no, I don't actually believe that. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, it's it's important to, you know, as I read this line, before you disagree, make sure you understand. And and I think oftentimes, you know, at least in the, in the, in the issue of Black Lives Matter, when it comes to such topics, I think oftentimes people don't want to address their own uh, presuppositions. And so sometimes we are saying stuff like that because we don't want to address the fact that we might own, we might all have or we do have junk or we do have um, things in our hearts that we don't want to um, talk about right because I think oftentimes mm-hmm. you know you know to and I've heard this this you know Christians that well specifically specifically evangelical Christians sometimes will, will go into this idea of you know how do you know what the organization stands for? But but if you can, mm-hmm. you know, draw back from all of that politics and you can just go back to the basis of what this means in itself, not just just the idea that another life that has not uh, mattered for so long, not just because it's been said truly factually, if you look at our, you know, our history, if you look at our incarceration, if you look at, um, you know, health disparities, if you look at all of the factors that exist and that make this, um, you know, even maternal health, for example, black women tend to die uh, childbirth more than anybody else. Like this, this is something that is a factual thing. And there is a lot of been studies done around this, for example. And so, for example, women, black women who who are in, um, you know, childbirth and, and oftentimes the, you know, there is this cold complex about, you know, we talked about this just last time briefly, but, the black people are like this, you know, uh, superheroes. Like 
you know, th- that we don't feel pain sometimes. There's this misconception mm-hmm. and, and scientists are studying this more and more because if you, we've controlled all the facts when it comes to maternal health uh, regarding black women. And really the only reason why black women are dying, it's not because of all of this extra um, confounding, uh, fact, you know, things. It is simply because medical uh, physicians do not believe Black women when Black women say they're experiencing pain. This is not just people saying stuff, right? And so I think it's important for us to address some of those things. And so I love the fact that he said, before you disagree, make sure you understand. And I think, you know, that might sound very simple, but I think it is laced with such wisdom because I think to understand is not just to conceptualize it in your emotions, but it's actually to take the time to read, right? Uh, And to educate yourself because oftentimes we jump into conversations um, without doing the educational work. Um, And that's, a problematic thing. Yeah. And and maybe just something to add here is that there is, there is the question of when you're talking to someone who disagrees, Mm -hmm. the question of good and bad faith, right? Like sometimes, you know, you might be talking to someone who disagrees and you realize, I don't know if this person actually cares to understand or actually cares to like, whether the argument is good or not. Like, Maybe they are just trying to exercise power over you or dominate you or it's it's just malicious, right? So, and that is a real thing. I think we need to be real about that. Like it's not um, understanding there, there's a limit, I think, too, right? Because we sometimes we just get into a situation where, yeah, I don't think this person is actually wanting to have a conversation. Um and that that you know that would be what's called like a bad faith argument is they're arguing for something they don't actually believe in it's just about politics it's just about power it might be even malicious um and we want to be people of good faith right we want to be you know th- this wanting to understand people wanting to really come to some kind of maybe not middle ground but just at least seeing something of what the, where the other person is coming from yeah that's what good faith discussion is supposed to lead to and so yeah when, when we encounter someone who's kind of just engaging us on bad faith i think it it might be right to to not engage there mm-hmm. i do wonder though this is as i was thinking about this part of it is can can we really call ourselves people who want to discuss in good faith if we constantly label other people as having bad faith. And I think, I think the answer is no, right? Like I think having, being a person who wants to have good faith arguments and good faith discussions means that you need to give other people the benefit of the doubt, even if you suspect that they might be coming in with bad faith Mm -hmm. Um, to a certain limit, right? It It doesn't extend to infinity, but to a certain point. And I think that is, that's difficult. That line is difficult. Um, right. But yeah, I guess that kind of complicates this whole thing. You know, we don't realize the power and the privilege that we also bring in those conversations, right? And um, and not to use those words, you know, just because it's, it's maybe a trigger word for people, power and privilege and all those things. But the reality is sometimes we, we all grow up in environments, maybe we may, may have been more... Uh, preview to education and different things that lend us the ability because you have read about something doesn't mean you 
understand what it means. Let's just be clear, people. Uh, because mm. I think I have a degree on something, that doesn't, doesn't mean you fully understand what it means. Because I can know something conceptually in my head, but doesn't mean I actually know it in reality. And so I think mm-hmm. as we talk about good faith, that we are humbly coming <laughs> and having humility in, in the fact that there is so much that we don't know ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's that's an important space to to come into, um, Josh, as we are kind of talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Well, Grace, you have a ton of like practical <laughs> ideas on... Um, <laughs> I know. okay we're laughing because grace has a huge list um which we probably aren't going to get through all of them no. but but it's really good stuff so i think let's go through at least some of these and talk about yeah some practical things posture things that we could think about when we are in these kind of conversations yeah absolutely you know josh and i try to go back and forth on some of this stuff and um yeah, I was kind of thinking as we were talking through this, just, you know, what are some of the goals of of, of uh, engaging in conversations, right? Just period. But also engaging in conversations that may be triggering and difficult, right, for either party. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I have, you know, for me personal, so if you guys know me, you know, I do have a degree in social work and, and we spend part of our, our degrees, we spend a lot of time in having disagreements a lot because we want to be able mm. to talk about them. And so obviously I went to University of Michigan and and they like to claim, they, they claim, but they are actually the number one school of social work in the nation for a reason, because they are very intentional about having disagreements about topics a lot uh, throughout mm. kind of the degrees. And and so one thing, and also I've been trained, you know, in facilitation and, and just different things that I have engaged in. And just by being a default, being a black woman, for me, I've had to be as a black student and president in college. I've had to be in a lot of difficult conversations almost all the time. Mm. My whole life I've, I've had to mm. be in them. And so I'm always constantly thinking about how when I leave these conversations, this this spaces, how can we do better? And I believe mm. like, you, you know, um, you know, the goal is not necessarily to agree, right? And, and that's clear. And Josh kind of talked about this in depth throughout the conversation, but it is to engage in critical discourse that allows us to actually listen truly um, and engage. Because oftentimes we get into the spaces that we um, think we are listening, but before somebody is, you know, even ends their topic, we already have a ending point to argue back. Listening requires you and this is difficult, y'all. It requires you to almost shut off part of your brain so that you can be attentive to that person in that moment. It is not about being able to regurgitate your next point. It's about being present. And so I think that's important to kind of um, note here. Um, And it's not necessarily to compromise on your belief, right? But to show grace to the individual or the groups of people that you are engaging with. And I think I just want to make that clear because oftentimes we think, okay, well, for us to be, you know, to not basically set fire in this place, we all have to be, we have to compromise our beliefs or we have to leave the room feeling like, dang, like, you know, I felt like, you know, part of who I am is lost in the space or whatever. I think it's important Mm -hmm. to, to feel like you don't have to compromise on who you are, but 
in that process, you have to recognize that there are going to be pieces of you that will be challenged because it needs to be challenged, right? And so that's important to be aware of. It is not necessarily to prove your rightness or your knowledge, right? So we get into this dialogue sometimes, especially in, in academia and in different spaces where knowledge is much more fluid, Um and, and, and oftentimes we use lingos and jargons and um, and we want to, you know, prove that we are smart about something. It's important that when you are in the spaces in our, in our community, whether it's at work, whether it is in our communities, it's not about you knowing more, right? It's not about you knowing more. Nobody cares about how much you know. Really, people care about how you people care about how you deliver it. People care about how you do it well. So I think that's important to keep in mind. And it's not to be hostile, right? I mean, I by default, I hear this a lot, and and I want to just say this off the bat. I think sometimes there is notions that certain you know people are more quiet. Some people are more. Sometimes I've gotten the thing as being an assertive black woman that I can be hostile. Like no, I just know. I just know who I am and I know where I stand in things. So, you know, I think be be careful about not labeling people hostile, right? It's not about being hostile, but you also you have to recognize when somebody have passion, passion does not equate to hostility. Let's just make that clear. Um and 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 passion and knowing something does not also equate to right hostility. It is not to further disgrace or dehumanize the other individual. You're not there to make them feel low to make them feel um, like nothing, right? Your point is to be, again, to extend grace in that moment. Like part of grace can mean walking away. Sometimes when we are in conversations, we feel like, oh my God, like I have to I have to sit here and talk this. Sometimes you, you might just want to say, excuse me, I might need space. Like we might have to revisit this conversation in an email, whatever you have to do. Sometimes you have to recognize when you need to stop. And lastly, the goal is not to sympathize. Uh-oh, y'all were like, what? Yeah, the goal is not to sympathize. And this leads me into what is the goal? The goal is to empathize. Because the reality is sympathy does not lead us anywhere. Empathy allows me to say, I do not understand where you've been. I do not understand the shoes you walk in. But I can, what I can do is I can, tr- I can try to walk alongside with you or I can try to understand where you are coming from. That is empathy. Sympathy is like, oh, boohoo, I'm so sorry for you. Like sometimes people don't, people don't need your sympathy. They need your empathy. Like you don't know what it feels like to be, uh, you know, an Asian man. You don't know what it feels like to be a black woman. You don't know what it feels like, you know, to be all of these things. It, you just don't know. But it's to be understanding to say, I don't know but I want to understand, right? And so that's important. But it also is important to, the goal is, right, to identify what your biases have limited or clouded your understanding um, um, as a human. So I think sometimes we forget this, and I do this as well, and I have to do this constantly as a person that is evolving, is that we have to recognize where are my biases, whether those biases are cultural, whether they are, they are educational, whether they are whatever those biases are. What are those biases that have limited your ability to see the person as a person, as a human being? Mm-hmm. 
Because when we don't do that, when we don't examine our biases, they can become very toxic in our conversations, right? And so I think that's important to be able to recognize those biases. There's also the goal is to also recognize your privilege and your power. Because, you know, for example, like I was born in Ghana until I was a certain age. I came here when I was in my teens, like 12 years old, 11 years old, you know. And now, obviously, I came from a very poor background, all that stuff. But now I have acquired education. I have acquired, you know, uh, you know, different things in my life that put me at a different disposition than p- people that I grew up with. That, that's fact. So when I go back to Ghana, I have to recognize that grace has certain levels of privilege, right? Not to everybody, but I'm saying that to the people that I grew up with, right? Uh, particularly because now I have certain, I speak differently, I talk differently, I walk differently, and they can sense it. They, they, know, they know it. When they see it, they see it. And I think it's important for me to come into that space to recognize the things that I'm carrying that might be uh, a privilege to those uh, people who perceive that as well. And the power that I might hold in my tongue um, and, and the things that I'm, I might be saying uh, because, in quote, I have learned um, and, in quote, I am advanced. And that itself is a bunch of BS, but okay, let's keep moving. Uh, and so um, Josh is like, oh, this girl is crazy. And the goal, right, is also recognize how our cultural, social, and environment has shaped our ideas and our beliefs, right? And so um, we all have our cultures that we love. We love, I love, I love my diaspora, you know, culture, my blackness. See, I love all of it but also our church culture, all of those things, you know, our institutions that we belong to, all of those cultures have shaped how we think, how we love, who we engage with, who we choose to love, who we choose not to love. Uh, All of those things have influenced that. The goal is fundamentally to, to know that this is about human dignity. And we, we can't we can't go into this because you know we are cutting close to time. But the goal is to have is to recognize that, that the other human being has dignity. And the reality is a lot of arguments about this. You know, when you talk to atheists and and different evolutionary thought in in the world, the reality is even the argument. This and and if you read uh, Abdul Murray's book on saving truth, he talks about this very well. That the only way we can be objectively objectively see somebody as as somebody with dignity is that it has to be not in the hands of human beings, right? Because if human beings have to define what human dignity is, automatically we already have created boxes that not everybody's going to fit in. And oftentimes that is lost in conversations sometimes. Let's just be real. I've done it. We've all done it. And so the reality is, I you know, this argument is is strong, is that God has inherently made us as human beings, the imago Dei, the image of God, that we are people who are born with dignity just by being alive, just by being, you have breath in our lungs, just by existing that we have dignity, right? Regardless of our our sin, our behaviors, what things we've done wrong, that we we are dignified, right? And I think that's important to recognize that human beings are born with dignity and sometimes it is lost. It is lost on all of us. And we have to go back to that basis that we are inherently born with dignity. 
And so, and, and lastly, the goal is to, right, is to create a brave and safe space. A brave and safe space. You can be safe, but also be brave. You don't have to compromise one for the other. I can still stand, speak about what I believe in, you know, with, with, with thought, with, with timing, with wisdom, with care, with compassion, and still be bold about it without making somebody feel like they don't belong. It's possible, but it's going to take you to, to kind of think through some of the things that we've talked about here today. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I always say when engaging in these conversations, Josh, like you want to read some of the stuff that we say when you're engaging in these conversations, like some of the questions that we ask is, are you willing to listen? Um, you know, do you want to just be heard or do you want to do both? The reality is you want to be do both. You want to be heard and you want to listen. Um, how well do you know yourself? Right. Um, how did you come to believe what you believe now? The things that you hold so close to your heart. Why do these things hold such a strong influence in your life? Right. Who influences your daily consumption of ideas and thoughts? Like who is influencing those ideas and thoughts? Are you coming up? Are you making time to think critically and to have those discourses? Or are you just consuming social media and other thought processes and, and make them your own? Right. What are your triggers? What are your bad experiences and how are those influencing your ability to perceive truth? Right. Um, how do how does fear right hold a strong, uh, you know, uh, a strong root in you identifying what is lies and what is truth? And so this list is long, but we're not going to talk about them all right now. We're going to put them in in the notes for, for people to look at. But yeah, Josh, I, I feel like I hope that any more things to add on that end. I, I feel like I, I covered yeah. it. I mean, that was that was great. I really enjoyed just listening to you talk about that and even questioning myself um, and, and thinking about the way I approach these things too. It reminded me of an experience I had with a friend uh, where I, I, th I felt like I went through this, uh, what is the goal here kind of thing, right? We had a conflict and I actually sat down and wrote down everything that I thought this person said wrong and did wrong. And I don't, I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but maybe I would take it back and like read it off to him or something. I don't know. But that I, I was very angry and that, that's why I did it at the moment. Mm. And um, I talked about it with a, a mutual friend. Um, and um, after I kind of vented, I had this moment where it's kind of like what you said, right? Of like, hold on a second. Like when I confront this person, when we have this conversation what's my goal? You know, like, uh, yeah. if, is my goal just to win and then we can like no longer be friends, you know? Um, and I realized there was a part of me that just wanted that, right? I just mm -hmm. wanted to be right. I just wanted to stick it to him, right? Uh, um, and, and just raise up myself, like justify myself, vindicate myself. But then um, I, I, I thought about that and it's like, I, I don't know if I want that actually. You know, like I, I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't be happy with that. The goal is, is to raise up both of us, you know, and that means that um, even though I thought I was right, I thought I was completely right. But if, if I wanted that goal of both of us being able to be friends, to understand each other, to move forward in our friendship, I could not 
unload on him, even if I thought it was justified. Right. And so reflecting on what my goal was and what I wanted out of that, um, it changed my whole posture. And, um, and I mean, I believe that was the Holy spirit, you know, in that moment, um, changing the way I looked at that. And so I think, um, the last thing we want to talk about here quickly is, um, yeah, just, just that, like when we go into a conversation like that, when we know we're going to have disagreement, what is our vision? You know, what's something that we can hold on to that can help us to keep going, even though, um, even though it's difficult. And, um, Grace, you talked about dignity, you know, the, this valuing dignity and how that can become like a platform for us to, um, to make space for us to have these conversations. Is there anything else you want to say about that? Yeah, I feel like there is so much more that I, we could cover, but I, I think, um, yeah, I think Josh, I think I, I think I covered it. And, and I think ultimately what I'm saying is that we are inherently born um, with dignity. It's not one that human can fashion because if human fashions what dignity is, then dignity itself is, is no longer something that we can truly value because it will always change depending on who has power. Um, it will always change depending on who has privilege. It will always change depending on who it benefits. Um, and that's why it has to belong in the hands of God. Yeah, yeah. And I think going off of that, um, one thing I wanted to share to close out here is um, I've been reading or I read for part of my class, I read part of uh, this book called Exclusion and Embrace by Miroslav Volf. And uh, this this book is just powerful. Um, and I think the thing I'm po- that I love this book. Yeah, I do. I talk about it too much. I need to finish the book before I talk about this much, I think. But I will finish the book. Um, he talks about how, this is what I'm pulling out of it for this. If our disagreement with someone else is a disagreement at the core of our identity, then there is no way to disagree well, amicably, right? Because if we have defined ourselves such that this is who I am, I believe this, and you believe that, and we are totally, I am against you, and that's my identity, and your identity is over against mine, then we have nothing in common. We're enemies. You know, we can never come to this place, like there's no point in even talking if we see our identity that way. Um, and right now in America, I think we could see that, you know, maybe the progressive uh, people who identify as progressive or identify as conservative are identities that are defined in opposition to each other. You know, part of being conservative right now is that you are not progressive. And part of being progressive right now is that you are not um, conservative and it's over against each other. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's at a deadlock and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, or there's, there's nothing, there's no way to move forward in understanding if, as long as this is the case. Um, and what Wolf says is in order to move forward, we have to not define our identity so tightly. Mm. We need to make room in our identity. Now this is radical because we are not used to being told, you know, we, we are being used to, being told that our identity is our own and our own, like my own. No one else can tell me who I am. Mm-hmm. But what Wolfus says that we need to open that up. We need to actually make room in our identity for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way we do that 
is to embrace other people. And he talks about this, uh, his concept called the will to embrace. So the desire to embrace. And he says that when we come to someone else, we need to have this desire to embrace them. Uh, now, this is different from actually embracing them, right? Because, you know, um, you know, you could say, oh, well, you know, before I want to embrace someone, you know, we have to have some kind of agreement. We have to talk about truth. We have to talk about justice. Mm-hmm. If those things don't align, then then we can't have this embrace in our relationship. And Wolf would say, yes, that is true. You know, if if you don't have enough alignment there, it's not going to work. But if you don't come into a discussion or an interaction with the will to embrace, mm-hmm. with the desire to embrace this other person, mm-hmm. then there's it's a non-starter. You can't even get to the point where you talk about truth or justice unless we come in with space in our identity for another person and with the will to embrace them. So um, this is a risk, right? This is a risk when we come into these sorts of discussions and these, these sorts of environments. It's a risk because we're blurring the line between who I am and who they are. Mm. It's letting down the guard and letting someone else get it close enough that they might even influence me. Mm. They might even change my opinion. And that's really scary. And I don't want to do that. But um, what Wolf argues is that it's the only way. Um, we have to be open to that. We have to see that that is something that can be that can result in good yeah. rather than something to be feared. We have to see other people as people who can contribute to us rather than threats. So um, I know we're pretty long on time here. But um, any other thoughts here, Grace? So needed. I have nothing to say. I feel like you just preached us to the end. You took us in, to the end. Let me just say thanks for listening to this conversation. I think we had a lot of fun doing this. Um, and uh, I, hope, I hope it was helpful. I know we both have steps that we need to take too. You know, um, We're not perfect in this. We have to continue to grow. And um, I have been so inspired by this quote from that book, um, Exclusion Embraced by Wolf. So I'm just going to read it. Um, as we close out here, Wolf says, the spirit of God breaks through the self-enclosed world that we inhabit. The spirit recreates us and sets us on the road towards becoming what I like to call a Catholic personality. A Catholic personality is a personality that is enriched by others, a personality that is what it is only because multiple others have been reflected in it in a particular way. The distance from my own culture that results from being born by the Spirit creates a fissure in me through which others can come in. The Spirit unlatches the doors of my heart, saying, you are not only you. Others are a part of you, too. Um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope we can all challenge ourselves um, to both belong you know with with the people that we love and at the same time step out um, and reach out to other people as well so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time bye guys cheers graced with questions is edited by craig font chi yang and jasmine jones music is also by craig Font. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at 
graced with questions. Or you can also head to our website, gracewithquestions.com. We would love to hear from you on every episode. Please feel free to leave us questions on our social media sites. You can also leave us comment um, by sending us an email at gracedwithquestions at gmail.com. Please subscribe, subscribe, share, and make sure to give us a review as well on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, um, wherever you are able to do so. Okay, y'all, cheers.